Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we're chatting with Julie Reddish. Julie Reddish is the head of people and culture at Optimal Workshop and was the original happiness engineer at Zero. And so on this podcast, you'll hear a lot about how you can bring teams together, how you can create self-assembling, self-managing teams, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning into the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. So Julie Reddish for me burst on the scenes at zero, right? Like yeah. I was saying before, I remember a few people were like talking about yeah, Zero's got this happiness engineer person, yeah. and I was like, what the, f- what the fuck does a happiness engineer do? Yeah, and they so were like. Funny. I don't know. And I was like, well, is it HR? Is <laughs> it? And they're like, no, no, she, I think she sits in the technology team. And I was like, man, engineers are going to fucking hate that. Someone running around oh. thinking, you know, wanting to be happy because they're all like engineers with their hoodies on and, you know, trying to be too cool to pretend they're happy. Yeah. But the feedback I heard was just phenomenal across the board. Like everyone yeah. kept saying, she's HR, but she doesn't know it. You know, right. she's. That's hilarious. She's working just to bring people together and help you know, like make sure that people are working on separate things and help coach and path them. And so yeah. so how did that like all come about? Like where where did you just explode on the scene from? Well, um, I was from like managing a, a centre of education in Perth mm. and um, it, was my, it was my dream job. Um, I had my three kids. Uh, I'd done that. I was the first centre manager who'd had toddlers and um, and being full time, um, yeah. so I really forged a path as a mother and a leader, and that was a company that had fifty three offices around the world wow. and based in San Francisco, uh, and I'd been part of that company for like eighteen years, or was part of it for eighteen years, and um, and it really got complete for me in Perth. Like it, it wasn't going to be something that I has was going to do again because yeah. it was was way massive hours, like owning your own business. Yeah. And I had these like little people that I I could see I wanted to be there yeah. for at least their middle years um, and teenage years. Anyway, so I thought, I'm just going to get a normal job now, <laughs> except I couldn't really get a normal job after my dream job. And everyone, when I came back to Wellington, was like, you've got to talk to Zero. And I was like, what the hell is Zero? And they're like, ah, it's really taking off. It's this thing. And I was like... Okay, so I applied for one job and didn't get an interview. And then I applied for... Um, product team coordinator, Bradley Scotts, mm-hmm. just come on the scene, uh, new general manager. I can't remember even if he was general manager then, but the leader of product. Yeah. And um, he had these um, incredible um, female developers mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were some some men as well who were had that knack of um, – Inducting people really well, caring yeah. about like what the code. Um, Are these the people leads they called them. No, I don't think they were even people leads then. They were. Um, it was more like team members yeah. who took on. Like they could see this thing was growing and growing, and like, yeah. and then you'd have at that point it was five um, cities of yeah. developers. So we had San Francisco, Auckland, Canberra, Melbourne, and Auckland, and they needed to talk more than anyone else needed to talk. And if the code breaks in, in Wellington, it affects people in San Francisco. Yeah. Like it doesn't, none of the other teams need to talk. Marketing can have different marketing campaigns in different countries. Yeah. It's very, very different. But but anyway, so these these people were by that time senior developers 
who were just caring out of the goodness of their heart, wasn't in their job description, but they brought teams together and Bradley could see there was a massive imbalance of these skilled people who ought to be leaders and were kind of always drawn back into these things. He says, I need someone who can be the glue. Mm -hmm that they bring and and be the organisory type person who can talk, tech, speak, who can um, connect really well and connect people really well and has learning, has development, has um, <laughs> events, mm-hmm. has... I remember looking at the job description and going, have you literally stalked me yeah. and looked at every... Because I was like a, a TV host at Saturn yeah. Television. I was an event specialist at New Zealand Post. I had, like, presented for 18 years and had had, like, seminar leading and creating um, awesome leaders around me. And... Um, and I was like, this is the weirdest job description I've ever seen. Also, I love it. I don't care what it's called. I'll just be there. And yeah. then. What was it initially called? Product Team Coordinator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great title. <laughs> you imagine, right? Yeah. Anyway, the first interview was terrible. I was, I bombed so badly. I was remember talking to the recruiter going, I don't think he liked me. Yeah. I just think it was just so dead and the atmosphere was like, uh, uh, or maybe that was the second one because the first one was with the with female developers and they were like, I love her. Yeah, Let's yeah. start making yeah. plans. And um, the second one I was like, no, 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 it was um, with Bradley. And then what he told me is he got he asked, I have a vision for this place technically. What I'm not great at is the people side. Yeah. And I need someone next to me actually coordinating and creating these opportunities. I don't even know what they're going to be yet, but – I need an offsider like that. So I was working directly with the GM of product. Yeah. And um, it was a really special time of, of like doubling in size two years in a row. Yeah. And so I think for my f- first uh, few months I did induction after induction after induction. It was technical inductions. And yeah. It was really awesome because my dad was did the first um, develop a software Computer software degree, Victoria University, 1971, really? first one. Awesome. So he's plugging in cards and things. So I'd been around him, always had a computer, yeah. had worked from testing software, didn't know it was testing software. I was a software tester. Yeah. Um, I would come across, he was he was the, he did the police databases. Yeah. And I cleaned his database and made it into a CRM tool, except I kept coming across crime scene photos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, and so I knew developer language. I'd, I'd been in software. Um, and I'd done all these things, and then within three weeks, I remember sitting in the in the um, in the bullnose in um, Market Lane, and somebody came up to me and they said, "You know, you're not a product team coordinator." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "We're going to do a poll. We don't think you should be called that." And I was like, oh, "Please don't do a poll." Like we had Yammer, so they put out a poll. <laughs> Wow, this is giving me so many flashbacks of Yammer. Yeah. It was like 10 options, like guru of connection and yeah. all this Where all did this these stuff. names come from? People, just... people, people, this was, crowd, yeah. this was crowdsourced. Like everything is zero was crowdsourced. Yeah. Um, and Happiness Engineer was like the most far and away winner. And I was just like, who the hell put that up? And why did you all vote for it? Anyway, that was it. I was you, a happiness engineer that. within three weeks. And did your position description change or was it just like you? What did happen then? We made it official, like 
I don't think anyone quite had control over product at that time. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. like, what's product doing? Whatever they like yeah. to do, they've yeah. got to they've got to get on with the job. Um, so it was the groundswell of people going, no, she's a happiness engineer and this is going to be, and then, then, you know, Bradley was like, oh, yeah, we'll change it. And then we changed it and it was became official. And um, I was like, whatever, I'll just do my job, which was inductions, events, communication and training. Yeah. And um, the thing that was a little bit magic was people didn't really understand how you can create um, things happening from people just by saying yes to them. Yeah. Like all they needed was permission. And I had like an amazing remit, which was like, can we do this? And they're like, yeah, sure. So, so I'd literally walk the floor. I remember, um, I had two hours a day of just floating and listening. And sometimes I'd just sit by people's desks and just whatever would come out would be, mm, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We had this, um, you know, celebration of people. And I, because I always think when you welcome, it's a very New Zealand thing, but welcoming people yeah. and, and clearing the day, like actually stopping and creating something. And when people come, like, you have to stop and create. Mm. This is this is like a, a, a situation that, that their life changes. They're in a whole brand new place. They need to form connections, have this group of people get on. Um, and that that kind of ways of being, like how you're going to um, act together, how you're going to relate together, how you're going to exist together, no one really pays attention to that. Yeah. But it's when you do it well, it's like magic. Well, oh, suddenly we love each other, you know. Well, that's the hardest thing, right? Because so, so companies scaling is hard, right? Yeah. And scaling culture, yeah, hard. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's hard is because as you get bigger, it naturally becomes isolated pockets yeah. everywhere, right? And yeah. so trying to keep that communication, keep that emotional connection between yeah. each other, yeah, is really challenging. Yeah. It. Um. I really love it. I'm like you know, whatever, five countries, easy, let's do, like, I've just come from 53, like, you know, no hard. Um, and I think it was the the being able to get people knowing each other before they have the shit hit the fan. So yeah. there is this um, a Green Bay Packers story. I don't know if you've heard the, um, the, the rise of the free agent, right? No. So... Uh, in America, the um, the, the football team, N NFL, football yeah, 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 team. yeah, NFL. So, yeah. Um, and free agency, it's very different to legacy people who would stay with their team, have loyalty. Oh, yeah. this is your career. Oh, you're now like a Green Bay Packer forever. Blah 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 blah. All went away when the power of the salary got into the um, players' hands. Yeah, and. What Green Bay Packers figured out was um, you had 52 people and at any time you get, I can't remember how many are on the field at one time, but basically someone could be injured, someone could be, you know, um, traded, someone, you needed to be integrated before you play the game. Mm -hmm. And so the people who would not normally mix, they made the mix. So if you have the defensive linemen who are like big, burly black men yeah. who would be like all in their crew uh, and then the, the quarterbacks who are not, mm. <laughs> they're doing. Usually uh, pretty boy white pretty guys. Pretty boy white guys, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and so what Green Bay Packers said was you all have to 
eat with different people and yeah. room with different people. And so you get to know different people and you, everyone had to read the playbook every week at the yeah. beginning of the week. So everyone knew what you were doing and you had that communication going, but you also knew everybody. Yeah. He had a connection with everyone. So at any time you could assemble a team and play the game. And it just it blew people out of the water when that time, like everyone else was struggling, ah, free yeah. agency, everyone can go where they want. But it's the same with developers. You've got this incredible resource of, of technical humans who can go anywhere they want in the world yeah. and, and command a price anywhere they want. They don't go for money, but they go for um, who I work with and how much, you know, how much autonomy do I have and how much am I valued by my teammates and is it really good to work with people? I totally disagree with what you said about the hoodies and the basement thing, which is part of the thing of misunderstanding developers was one of the major rallying cries, which probably yeah. get back into. But, but I think that thing of integration and people having opportunities to know each other, which is donut meeting. Like we set up donut meetings before they were on Slack and what, had what are donut meetings. Oh, um, we had three buildings because <laughs> we we're building a, another building, so we had to split. The product team it was very, very sad. The mobile team and the banking team had to move away, and no, yeah. oh, you're gonna be like 400 meters away. Um, yeah, it was a big thing about them moving away and how how disconnected that be. So, what. What I did was I moved down with them and mm-hmm. sat sat with the teams and then um, created donut meetings. So people would randomly, every two weeks, there'd be two people from each of the different squads that were on the floor, be sat at a table, I'd put a box of donuts in the middle and I'd sit there and go like, oh, oh Dale, you haven't met Jane. Jane likes water collies. Dale likes... Uh, his bike and going for bike rides on the weekend <laughs> and everyone and it would like kind of start 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 and then there'd be another donut meeting and then you're like uh, I think we did it for about six months and then someone goes Julie Slack have stolen your idea and they've got donut bot and I was wow. like what do you mean and they're like yeah random random donut meetings came up oh, and awesome yeah so it had got through the ether there that don't I don't know that was what I heard but yeah. I don't I don't think it was true that I made I, I up like donut meetings. I like to believe that. <laughs> I like to believe that. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so I think, I think that was really important to connect people. Yeah. When did you realise that what you and Bradley or you had created was, yeah. was a thing that was actually really needed in the industry? I think um, it was a lot when the team leads were – we were trying to train the team leads and we were training the team leads. Like, <laughs> holy cow, they had to learn a lot. Like, the – Okay, great. You've you've congratulations, um, Dale. You've become a team lead. You're a great developer. Uh, oh, now you're you got these people. Yeah. <laughs> like Dale's like, I don't know about this. And yeah. You're like, you're great. You're great. You like these people. Yeah, I like them. But you know, what about when they want to go and leave? How do I make decisions about whether that's okay? And yeah. what about what about them progressing their career? And what do I tell them to learn? And then. Um, how do I how do I tell them what the stra- like who tells them what the strategy is how do who, where do yeah. I t- who do I talk to for this and this and this layer and um, yeah there was a bunch of HR things and there was a bunch of learning and development things and there was a bunch of um, salary things mm-hmm. and and there was a bunch of influence things that you're like I don't know if you need to know all this you know some of this I can just take yeah 
because it is natural and normal for me to just just have that flow. Whereas for you, it's really unnatural and there's certain things that you're great at, you should keep being great at. And some of the things I are really great at was like leading technically and technical mentorship and yeah. then um, and knowing and, and actually upskilling people in how to best have more technical humans be as great as them. Yeah, It didn't necessarily mean that they were great as manager type people, but we only had like one HR person for 600 people. So they didn't really know the people. I knew the people. I'd inducted every single member of that those teams and – also, I can like normal people can keep about like 150 people in the head. I can keep 500. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that skill is not necessarily ne- like you don't need to have every person become. Oh, I'm a f- fabulous peopley person. Mm. There's certain parts of it that you need. Do you think so? As someone that's recruitment, and I've worked in internal teams. I worked at Vend. I sat in the people and culture team. Um, people tend to look at HR or people in culture as uh, either, you know, like I think more in the older in the olden days, right? It was, yeah. um, oh, they work for the business. They don't really work for me. Yeah. And so there was a challenge about sometimes scaredness of going to HR. Yep. Um, but then because, do you think because you didn't have that title? Absolutely. People and I, just love yeah, going to I, you. I definitely think the not HR bit was, was really, especially when I had the opportunity to travel and make sure my pockets of um, champions, I think I called them, like yeah. that you'd have uh, someone in San Francisco who would do all the inductions with yeah. you and and help craft the next range of inductions. And so going going there and having them experience me yeah. and experience, sometimes I'd take a couple of senior devs, but the best thing was when they came to Wellington for the Young Conference, which was freaking fabulous. But um, having... Uh, people overseas understand what it was. They, then other people from other parts of the business would go, hey, we've got these things that are really not working. And I was like, have you taken them to your person? They're like, yeah, that's the person that's not really working yeah, yeah. with. And you're like, okay, um, so what can we do? And there was a lot of times I find myself knowing things and absor- and getting things and then making action happen or like sometimes it was too dangerous for people to take action themselves. Honestly, yeah. it just those those things about if you're the whistleblower, you're the one who yeah. d- does does have something happen to you is true. But um, but being able to go wait, this the system's broken. If these people are, are, have something um, that's not that's in the way of their happiness yeah. and they're not able to get it out, then that should be something I'm raising. Because if I'm genuinely here for this company's success, then there's got to be a way that these things can be communicated. And I ended up like hearing about things in a, a, that they wouldn't have come to their HR person about. Yeah. And a lot of it was not directly in product, but because of the relationship I had with product, everyone knew that I was someone who could be trusted yeah. and actually had genuine um Gave a shit. Yeah, I really did. I I don't like to say that because that was like one of our values mm. in another company, but um, it really it really was authentic. Yeah. Yeah, and and I cared about the values of the company being expressed really, like including because v- values are only um, really useful when you can cut 
it out when they're not being done yeah. well. That's not very good England. But having the, you know, someone go, that's not okay. Yeah. And having that boundary and, and so, I, yeah. I think, like, like you were just humanising things, right? Like making it really human, people-centric. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Bring, and being a space. Yeah. That's, the, that's a real thing of, like, a, a space of people being able to bring anything. Yeah. And it not – I didn't have any, like – I didn't have somebody to report to. I didn't have a mandate to go and report on things. I just was like, that well, how, doesn't how, work. How are you measured? How was your role? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had to really deal with measurement until this role. Yeah. And uh, uh, But as uh, there was a couple of things that I would do survey-wise yeah. about um, how each induction went. Yep. Was was super important and people's experience there. And then every event I did, I had surveys on yep. effectiveness and value. And then afterwards, what people actually brought into the um, brought into the product or usefulness, especially like hackathons, like really formalizing hackathons on the Atlassian model, like stealing the Atlassian model, yep. being inspired by being inspired others, by, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then um, having um, really how do people rate me? Gosh, I can't even remember. I think I would ask people how I'm doing, but there was no measurement from my job that directly had outcomes to the business. It was all very ethereal. You, you just felt it, right? Felt it, but also um, like the things that I would produce would speak for themselves. Yeah. Like when I had... Uh, 24 of the 80 or 60 in, in San Francisco come to Wellington for the unconference with 500 people. And the way they went home and just became more zero, you know, became yeah. the values, actually got it, really had connections with people, started propagating culture on their own, yeah. you know, because it was like it's important that you come. Well, that's when culture is authentic, right, yeah. because you're living and breathing it and you actually yeah. – you care about the person on the other side of the world. Because, That's right, because yeah. you know them and you've yeah. seen them, or you've like, or you've had that experience. Like we had for the first time, you know, doing a proper unconference where people got to elevate whatever topics they wanted yeah. to, and we had this overwhelming um, attended mental health. Uh, caring one in the library of, of Wellington High School because that's where we had the unconference and it was like packed to the rafters, everyone going, we really care about this topic and it's not being dealt with and we don't get an opportunity to really see. It was after suicide of one of our um, yeah. one of our developers and um, and it was just like, we're not talking about this enough. Yeah. And the heartfelt like care that people had for their yeah. colleagues, you know, and that was unmistakable. You're going to make me cry, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of thing that I go, oh, where are the I, tissues? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dom, Jono, can we grab some tissues? Someone, please, anyone help. Uh, I, but I think Sorry, I should what, have had a trigger warning on that's, that. That's what I love about you, Julie, though, is like yeah. you, it's it's authentic that you give a shit and it's yeah. that, that's so why, like, because obviously you went from zero. You worked. You sort of realized what you what your passion was, right? You'd realized yeah. you, there was a there was a career for me in tech here, yeah. you know. And so this whole it was it's like crew chief, yeah, crew champion, crew champion. Yeah, we named ourselves that one. Yeah, yeah. And so you went to Flux, yeah, right, yeah, crew champion, yeah. 
the same thing again there in terms of similar. They mm-hmm. wanted to name it like let's have a lot of happiness engineers. I was like, no, yeah. don't ever like. One of the things it turned into was, uh, <laughs> well, optimal workshop stole it and yeah. had had their own happiness engineers, which was fantastic, and they're all amazing people who had careers in optimal. Um, wasn't quite quite the same. Um, Job description. Yeah, but, um, yeah. It was making juices. And, it was it yeah, was different things. Doing what people needed. And, um, and doing what people needed there, but um, but I think what the thing that was um, replicated from it was somebody outside the team who wasn't in your line management layers. Or yeah. actually, we didn't have line management layers, but would be like, okay, how are we going to support these self organizing teams? Yeah. How are we going to How are we going to have them? Because was it because zero self organizing teams? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and, so- and they had, uh, I don't know. They had definitely team leads. Yeah. And they were also in the team, but also team leads. Yeah. Um, and then they had other tech leads who weren't in the team and things like that. So I wasn't really connected with the working part of software, you know, bar the courses that I'd put people on or people would yeah. would do, you know, Agile 101 and things like that and facilitation and all sorts of things. But I used to go into teams and do um, what we'd call a what did we call them? It's like a setup, mm-hmm. an initial setup where you would spend half a day with a team and actually get them connecting as people, working on a problem together, and formulating yeah. as a team. And yeah. every time one person came in, you'd have another formulation, and I would um, I did twenty nine of them across the cities. 29 of these formulation events where you'd bring the team together and actually get them connected and working as a team. And scrum masters do a similar thing. Like there's a whole smorgasbord of, of yeah. facilitation you can do. But um, at, when when we wanted crew champions there, we were like, they're definitely, we had scrum masters yeah. who could do that stuff. And we were scrum masters outside the team. No, scrum masters were in the team. We were outside the team. With tech leads, yeah. So it's the people who are who are technically leaders, and us were the people leaders, and those people deliberately outside of the team because they have a um, a real power imbalance. Yeah. As soon as you are accountable for the direction of you know the the technical where it goes or the people side of it and improving people's leaves and doing all their like oh we're going to advocate for their money, shouldn't be anywhere near that team. That team should be clean yeah. and egalitarian and all have very similar like um, power dynamics. Yeah. So um, so it was it was a really true application of or as true as we can make it of scaled agile. So what so, so what is for people that don't know what self managing, self organizing teams, yeah. what is that? It's where you can have um, You a, just fire all your managers, right? Is that <laughs> Very funny. No, you have enough in a team that can um, build working software and yeah. in, in, in incremental pieces. So you have a, a, a number of developers, a designer, product person, a scrum master if you do that, and they have enough to actually make decisions about the, the part of the product that they own or not have, the, have the knowledge, the domain knowledge about, and they can basically – bring an idea in and make it into a piece of working software yeah. by themselves with no other people. So where did they get that inf- that nugget of information enough? Is that oh, just that's a good business, question. Business because strategy, it's or? generally um, in, it, 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 at a quarterly kickoff or a, a planning session or there's, there's places where you get to actually either choose or be given the work based on 
what your domain knowledge is. Yeah. And it's really best if the team are, are choosing you know, what they're building because then they're buying in. Yeah. They are like excited to buy. It's theirs. And um, and it doesn't have to be like free for all. It's, it's about like technically looking at what actual team would work and actually having a conversation with them as equals. And yeah. the, the thing about self-organizing teams is you make decisions close to the, the where the product's being built. Yeah. So and what are the pros and cons of self-organizing teams? Um, I think you've got – uh, a con, a lots of cons when it comes to visibility yeah. of um, people who are outside who need to make decisions about what gets built and need people to kind of stick to timelines. Yeah. There's just a discrepancy about timelines and people making promises because often the complexity of what you're building means that you find this thing that actually you didn't know existed and if you don't communicate, you're like, that's two or three months yeah. more than we think is going to happen. So it, that really doesn't work for people who are decision makers who are perhaps on the sea level um, yeah. and founder, funders, mm-hmm. <laughs> people who want to actually see results, sometimes struggle with no command and control. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a real education piece of like how software actually gets built and the way that like especially high-tech software and the complexity of it and having a knowledge industry, it it takes domain knowledge that is so freaking specialised. And those people also have to compromise because they can often get into like, I want to make it real perfect. And that's, oh, the the joy is of solving problems until they're complete. Whereas sometimes, you know, having good enough is okay. Yeah. And that's a that's sometimes a hard thing, especially if you leave technical debt un un worked on later and, yeah. and untidied. It's so demoralizing for a team yeah. to work over technical debt. Pros definitely culture, right? Like so I I think Optimal is doing it really well. So you're now you're now um head of people, is your title? I'm head of people and culture. Head of people and culture. Yeah. Excuse you. That's excuse okay. Me. Um <laughs> you so I remember Andrew Mayfield came to me one yep. day and he was like, Oh, I wanna I don't want to have to hire all these managers, but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. And he was like, do you know if there's anyone out there that could sort of help me just think about that? And I was like, yeah, I know a person. <laughs> and so I set you and Andrew up for a chat and you went for a walk along yeah, the waterfront Yeah, we for walked a around the waterfront yeah. and, um, and Andrew told me all about um, like how they had had um, – Holacracy, wasn't it? They, yeah, they tried to impl- – they did implement a version of Holacracy yeah. um, and – I think the thing that was missing was just some of the boundaries and and guidance. Because yeah. the thing, when you don't have a manager, there's certain things that the manager does do, which if you just take it away without replacing it with anything. Chaos. Ah, um, so I had a little, you know, just kind of, oh, right, okay, we'll probably need to do that. Yeah. And um, and when when I got there, I think the thing that was – that was so beautiful was the 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 connections that people had and yeah. the unsiloed way that people would just do business every day yeah. like they would bring in salespeople and they would chat to the customer success and they would like listen to the the head of um design and they would just be like no boundaries yeah. between people um or no no silos but um the thing that was hard was i don't know how to progress yeah. And I don't know how to advocate and diversity of like it having 
your own being a self-managing person really works for people who can advocate for themselves, are very extroverted, have really yeah. good, eloquent ways of saying things and also have um, knowledge of how you actually get around a structure when there's no structure. So um, it didn't work for people who were marginalised or yeah. had um, neurodiversity that meant that they weren't you know, savvy with all the the people yeah. quirks. So, um, yeah, it just wasn't fair. Yeah. And um, so most most people, like most founders or anyone that I talk to that you know hears about this, they're like, oh, wouldn't wouldn't they just you know like not work and you know like they oh. just hide and you know if you don't have a manager, right? How how am I supposed to motivate them to this do is, their job? It's just, they're not they're talking to the wrong people. These are people who are like, you have to stop them working. Yeah. They are so passionate about like what what gets gets getting solved is that you have to go like you can't work it this time yeah. like yeah. shut the laptop and also take holidays like let's talk about you taking some time off yeah. this is one of the major conversations we have can we talk about like the size of your uh, annual leave balance um, it's it's so opposite yeah. to trying to force people to do something or monitor them it's more about like. Are you including them in the right conversations? Are we not having too many meetings? Is there room for them to focus? Are you giving these people the best flourishing opportunity to do their yeah. best work? So you've done that with – you've got a team of practice coaches, you call them now. Practice coaches. Yeah, whoop, in, whoop. In, at Optimal. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, when you came to me and said, hey, I'm looking for practice coaches, I was like, yeah. what the hell do they do? You know? <laughs> so what do they do? Uh, so they're um, – they're, People who look after the people, yeah. and they're n they're not managers. So they co-parent. I say co-parent because, like mum and dad, have equal responsibility, but they have different roles. Yeah. So you co-parent with a faculty leader, and the mm -hmm. faculty leader is someone who's a head of a, a faculty or craft, like design or development, yeah. or you know, in, um, people. Pe well, I have people, but. It's that's a bit more complicated, more like customer success, yeah. sales, like yeah. head of that, and they like know the their Spotify domain model. Yeah, 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 yeah. Squatification model, yeah. and um, they have domain knowledge yeah. for their their experts. Like you talk to someone in engineering, and you're talking about the domains of of um, each part of the code base, yeah. uh, each part of like the onboarding process and things. Or they have like that ferried out within the faculty, um, but. You will talk to them as a practice coach about their development and their um, personal stuff because they can come to you. They know you as a human being yeah. and a whole person. They can, you know, do your leave and know the details of that and they'll keep it confidential if you want them to or not. There's some things, of course, you have to go like, I'm going to share this because this is this is really knowledge that, and we've got a chief as well. So you've got your chief faculty lead and your practice coach and they yeah. surround support. Somebody represents you on the senior leadership team, somebody re represents your craft and someone re represents you as an individual. Yeah. So you've got these three advocates. And so instead of, you know, the, the – um, What's it called when you have a a dilemma? Yeah. Somebody says, "Oh, my grandmother's just died. I really need some time off." And th there's this pressing deadline. Yeah. <laughs> deadline. Um, you can go separate those two worlds. Yeah, you can go to the practice coach for that. Yeah, go the to domain. the practice coach for that, and the and then the, the the head of has a really good relationship with you too. Like having a practice coach does not negate everyone else having great skills with people because. It elevates everyone else to because we do 
training and we do mm. uh, uh, escalation of issues and people get more and more trained in how to be better at interactions and um, it elevates everyone. And each, each um, practice coach now is aligned to ahead of. Uh-huh. So it used to be that um, you could pick your practice coach. <laughs> Election time. <laughs> I really want blah, 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 which was awful for us. But um, but now it's like they're aligned. They know the business. They know the results that need to produce. They're here coaching you in service of an outcome, Yeah. not just like what do you want to do and grow so, in. So to someone listening, that, right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the – as black almost, hat. Yeah, black hat here, right? Yeah. They go, oh, well, why don't you just hire managers? What's a, You've got all these practice coaches running around. What's the difference between hiring managers and practice coaches? I th- it's the, the amount of labour emotionally that it takes for somebody who is naturally, and I'm going to say technically minded, but I don't mean it in a like. Just domain focus. Yeah, it's, it's domain focus. If you are switching between emotional brain and logical brain. Yeah. It takes 90 seconds every time you do that to actually get into, oh, i got to go be empathetic now to this person. Yeah. And, oh, now I've got to go, like, steer them towards this business result. It's too much context switching for somebody. Yeah. If somebody can just do a great job at their domain and have, like, all I'm talking about is where we're going is in our craft and what we're doing. And they – I mean, there's a whole – there is a whole job in that. Yeah. You have to add on, like – all the uh, and now we're going to talk about cohesion and facilitation because yeah. those people are great uh, people at facilitating. They understand first health, uh, mental health, first aid. They have um, different different like domain specialties. Like I've got somebody who's excellent at uh, all the personality types and getting yeah, yeah. like a whole team balanced and understanding each other and testing them. I've got someone who's fantastic in, in agility mm-hmm. and has, and understands how product gets built. So they have a, a real a seat on the product leadership team, yep. like, because we don't have scrum masters, we don't have agile specialists, but if we have one of my team has that domain knowledge. They can upskill all the other coaches. Awesome. Yeah. And everyone and you gets need better. a lot less of them, right? You need a lot less of them. Yeah. yeah. Because everyone in those teams is also like generally great at that. They're very good communicators. That's what I was saying about like, I don't like that distinction of developers or hoodies. And, and yeah. the, it's not my experience. And it's also kills the ability for people to come into the industry because you have to be great at communication to be in one of these product teams. Yeah. Number one, everyone's public speaking yeah, all the well, time. I think, I think the days of, like, I, I take the piss of, you know, <laughs> I think it still exists. Oh, yeah, but you the, and I don't work in government. No, yeah. Well, even <laughs> government's might. changing now, right? Really? So, yeah. Um, I think I think developers just aren't back-end, like, backroom like server side, you know, no. in the in the server rooms anymore, right? Like oh, we, no. we have to communicate. It doesn't matter what your function is now. Yeah. You have to be able to communicate. Yeah. So. And, I, and I think that whole thing of stereotyping people and putting them into boxes is part of the bullshit. Yeah. And it's really about everybody is a whole person and they are nuanced and they're like dealing with stuff like, you know, how do I have this great experience for women uh between 45 and 60. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit. Menopause leave anyone? Yeah. Can we can we just make that normal, you know? Yeah. Can I have dads be able to take parental leave and have the same benefits? That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, part of part of having a whole experience now 
is go, looking at our policies that can really back up a great people experience and, yeah. and going like, let's freaking make this the way that we do things. Yeah. And like B Corp, being a B Corp certified um, place is so good. Cause so you get, talk, yeah, talk me through that because that's a pretty cool achievement. There's not many in Wellington. No, there's more and more coming, but um, – you can actually. What, what is it for a start for people that don't know? B Corp is can't remember what B stands for, but it's it's awesome and it's about measuring that you are a sustainable and um, responsible employer. Yeah. So with what's the, B Corp stand for, Jono? Can you look that up for us? Yeah, look that up. It's great. Um, it's on one of my links. <laughs> um, it's you look at hey, does your company do? Where do your suppliers come from? Are they local? Do they, what's the, the carbon footprint of your company? Yeah. Do you have sustainable hiring practices? How, how many women do you have in your leadership team and senior leadership team and, and owners and funders and how many people in each of the management teams if we have management people? Uh, how diverse is your population? Um, it's literally like this massive deal to answer and you get uh, points. It's a point system. You have to score a minimum of X number of points to be B Corp certified and keep mm -hmm. that for three years. Um, and it's a way to actually measure around the world people doing what they say they're going to do, not just lip service to, oh, yeah, we're really environmentally sustainable and, and diverse. Holding you to account, right? Like yeah. Living by what you say you want to be. What's yes. It, what's it? B and B Corp stands for benefit. Benefit Corporation. Benefit Corporation. I would yeah. pick that. So it's for the benefit yeah. of the world. And it gives something back, and it doesn't take, take, take. So oh, it's cool. yeah, it's a, it's a real sustainable ethos. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing about the world of trying to everyone saying they're responsible and actually being responsible is two different things. Yeah. So to have an international measurement like that, that is internationally recognised and um, incorporated, is so good. Well, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, the, the only general time you see people doing this is when they're tendering for something they need it yeah. or when their VC is doing due diligence, you know, yeah. quick shit, get all this stuff. And it, so was, to it was our CEO, Andrew, who was like, this is us. Let's see how much we already have yeah. just by, you know, the the way that we do business. And um, and he was right. There, was, there wasn't much to tweak and, and get to to get above the, the minimum. Yeah, I, w I would have assumed you were – B Corp certified before you were B Corp, right? Because yeah, I think I, it was just about formalising because the thing about being a startup is you don't really formalise a lot of things yeah. and, and that is really needed for it to be passed on. So if I leave, how, is, is the next person going to do it the same way I did it? Only if there's a policy. Yeah. So it's like putting into words and, and po policising, that might be a word, yeah. that, so it will sustain after you. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. that's good. And where, so where do you learn all this, Julie? Like who are your heroes or what companies are your like, oh, they, they are great? Um, I do a lot of um, blog reading yeah. about um, – I do a lot of neuroscience reading. Yeah. I love the brain work and I love – I do a lot of um, anthropology reading uh, and – anything to do with societies and groups and organisations yeah. and how they work. So I like to um, not just stay in tech. I think tech, there is a number of um, things that we're doing really well. Like I loved Atlassian's work on, you know, how they how they ship it and yeah. how they how they create those teams. And I, I did love the Spotify um, 
world and then it's just like well, did they put it into reality and how did they how did they evolve from that well the truth is that a lot of spotify did behind the scenes like they had this beautiful oh deck, yeah look great right. yeah, yeah, yeah behind yeah. the scenes it was a bit of a clusterfuck there that's for a right while. and i and i yeah it, it, it's it's about taking it for what it works for you yeah. The parts of it that work for you and the parts that don't. So it's, there's never like a, a, a great, oh, this is going to solve everything. Yeah. It's just let's try and experiment. Um, I think Brene Brown is a major inspiration of like research-based um, humanity, humanity yeah. at work yeah. and um, and bringing oh, just how to, be a, how to be a great person who can persuade and yeah. not, not like other people. And um, – and then there's like a top ten in tech. Yeah. I love I love that. Like every week, I get this little little checklist of stuff that's happening in our high tech world, and the kind of wow, this this company's published this, how they did this thing, and are sharing it with everyone. The, yeah. the thing I love about tech is you go, hey, I found out a thing. I'm going to publish all about it and tell you how to do it too. And you're like, yeah, let's all share. Hundred percent share. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. That's how we learn, right? Yeah, and progression.fyi. Like everyone's put their growth frameworks up Yeah. and gone like, this is how we develop a developer. This is how we develop a designer. And you're like, oh, sweet. Let's repurpose that for our needs. And like I don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah. Or even like the um, how are we going to pay these people? Oh, cool. Let's go. I'm on a, you know, my seven Slack channels of, of people sharing stuff yeah. and um, getting – this is what we're benchmarking our ones at. Here's how we how we work out this formula for underrepresented groups, and then you know, Culture Amp getting uh, their data involved with other people, and Bamboo HR have a, these like whatever um, systems the tech companies are using. They've got blogs and they got people thinking about these things behind yeah. the scenes and kind of aggregating how we're all doing, so you can benchmark yourself against the APAC top top you know, 5% and see, oh, what are they doing? So, yeah, there's a lot. Like using data much more is really cool now. Yeah, I hear, I hear there's a really good salary data product coming up. So. <laughs> One day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes in people and culture. And I yeah. think, like, as someone that sat in that team, like people, a lot of people don't realise exactly what's going on in that in that team for a and start. Sometimes you can't tell them. Well, you can't. Yeah. yeah. And nor should you. No. Right? And so, but um, like I think it sounds it sounds like you're doing much more traditional HR things these days, but from the same. Yeah, I think guys. I think I rebelled against the the title HR because of what you said before about like it's for the company. Yeah. Well, that's for me. HR is the olden days where it was company focused. Yeah. People and culture or people and experience or whatever they're calling it now. Yeah. Is definitely more focused to employee experience. Yeah. And to, to like doing the employee experience design school with Samantha and, and co has been um, life affirming. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you're on the right right track, right time using design centered thinking. Yeah. But also ask the damn people. Yeah. But also don't rely on what they tell you. Yeah. That's the thing like, I mean, I'm a, I always say this at work, like I work for a research company or, you know, IA company and I don't often, you know, listen to the audience because <laughs> oftentimes the things that are, are actually going to get you somewhere are things that you just do. Yeah. You know, one of our talks at UXNZ was this um, researcher who was just like researching which product to put which aisles things on in the supermarket and countdown and she was just like 
why do we call this feminine hygiene? It's not for feminine. What's feminine about this? And also people who are not feminine use this. And hygiene, seriously, are we dirty? What's happening now? She's just like, period care. And she's like, okay. didn't poll the audience, just said period care. And the next minute, international headlines. Oh, we're finally calling it what it is. And every oh, really? supermarket around the world was copying Countdown New Zealand, I who had their that. researchers just go, it's called period care, let's call it what it is. And it's like everyone's copied them. But it's like stuff like that, you go, if you just poll the audience, you're going to get an, an aggregation of what they already have done, nothing to do with what's possible and what's what's future thinking. Yeah. So you've got to have a foot in both camp going, oh, okay, I hear what you say. I get that. And I do acknowledge that and, like, show people what you've gotten and then go, here's what we're actually going to do. Yeah. And so it's it's a real balance of creativity and and listening. Yeah. So what a lot of what we talked to today, people would say that that works once you're a bigger size company. Yeah. How does how does this like people centric, like self managing team, self assembling teams work if you're a smaller company, like if you're an earlier stage startup? Is this something that you should be thinking about straight away? I think you should have it be in your leadership team from the get go. Like that's the thing that I I firmly believe. If your CEO doesn't believe it, then you're not going to be there. Yeah, you know, and you're not going to get there. So what could they be doing? Like if they're a team of 20, 10 people now, like what are the simple things that they can start doing? I think getting somebody who's um, got a really good grounding in um, psychology or anthropology, any of the BA subjects, as a person on your leadership team, person who is a a true people-centric person who like authentically cares about the people and how they're interacted with and that it's matching what your product says. Yeah. Because the people, like if you're building something and you say, hey, customers, this is what's going to do to you, blah, 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 awesome, and you don't do that for your own staff, yeah. like that's bullshit and it's always going to be bullshit and it's gonna, yeah. you're going to be building bullshit. So you've got to have like that match from the first code that is written is that your people who are actually building it are treated in the same way that you say that your product is going to be great for your customers. And I don't care what you build, you can always match that story up with like the experience has got to be the same. Yeah. I think like startups that I work with now, like the earlier that you can think about any of these things, the better. Yeah. Yeah. So like diversity and inclusion, right? Like it should just be... It should be something you do from day one. Yep. You know, like don't get to the point where you hide 30 white dudes no. you know, and then go backwards. Yeah, or the same with your people team. Like we had all our people people be women. Uh, white women, yeah. right? And so it was like truly going to be uncomfortable if any of our next candidates, we couldn't interview one more candidate who was is that demographic because we yeah. just we simply weren't going to hire them. Yeah. So And that wasn't discriminatory. It was just like we have to serve our customer base and represent who our customers are, which is our our people in New Zealand. We have to reflect our demographic of our customers and that just simply won't be okay if it doesn't reflect that. So, um, so yeah, the quick, the quick, the more you can get it as part of the culture from the first four people, the better. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to look at, for me, if you look at any of the startups that have been successful, there's certain factors that they all have in common. Yeah. You know, they have storytelling. You know, they're a good leader who's storytelling really well. Yeah. They have people that are empathetic, you know, inclusive, you know, early do- early days. So yeah. that 
you know, anyone can work there so that they can hire anyone, yes. you know, and they have people that actually assemble and give a shit about the product. You know, they're working closer together around the table. You know? Yeah, and I think there's things about, like, traditions that you create as well. Like, have it be quirky. Have yeah. it be, like, somebody loves this shit. Okay, we do fishing. What yeah. we do on Thursdays is fishing. And it's like, oh, yeah, that company, they go fishing on Thursday afternoons. You know, so it's like those things are important, those yeah. traditions and rhythms and, and you know, places that people belong to. So, uh, that are quirky. So tell me about the optimal Christmas party because yeah. I thought this was really cool. Which there one? Was different rooms going for different oh, types of that was really cool. We got um, we really put a lot into like listening to people when they talked about the kind of diversity they wanted to see, and it wasn't what you would expect. It was about like. I'm not really into the like rave culture of a, like whoop whoop DJ, yeah. DJ and lots of booze and then my brain needs to chill out. Oh, okay, cool. Well, we've got this this compartmentalised office and the team who put together the party A had a really diverse team who were, you know, asked yeah. to participate to and be included because everyone who you invite to be on a team to create a party has a great time at the party. Great time and it's a good party. But they also brought ideas like every room could be a, a, a zone of like different games. Mm-hmm. And then you could have like really quiet games in here. You could have speed racer games with like multiplayer in here. You could have like this other thing and then this this public one, joysticks in the in the air in the public area, and then there was puzzles, and mm-hmm. there was like um, quiet room, quiet room yeah. and silent disco, and I think that that went ahead and just and just little uh, balconies yeah. where there were group and gatherings for people to just come. It was pouring with rain; it was beautiful, and everyone would just sit in the rain and just chill yeah. out and be together. And it was yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that, and that for me because like we thought we talk about diversity, right? Yeah. And, but I think it's just like tarred with one brush, right? Diversity, people think in their mind of um, male or female or, you know, gender type or they think about colour of skin, yep. you know, all the thing. So diversity for me is like that we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. Yep. We all we un, we unwind differently. We amp up differently. Yep. And so things like that for me like really cool to see, you know, like that people can – all everyone can go to the Christmas party yeah. if they need to go and chill out in a, in a quiet room for a little bit and, you know, like re, re-energy up like yeah. some people and I, do. And I think I was just doing the um, survey from – we had our um, unconference right next to the Christmas party – was too much for people. Yeah. They needed a day in between. And I'm like, that simply doesn't occur to me as a person who gets energy from people. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, you need like more than a night's rest in between yeah. peopling? Like, oh, that's really cool. So you get like, well, how are we going to design it next time so that, that you can have those those ebbs and flows for those people because it is intense. Yeah. Especially when people are working from – you know, Kaitaia and Queenstown and things, and then you go, come to Wellington and we'll all be together. And it's like... You want to bring, you want to do everything well there together, right? Yes, and have one extra night. Yeah. Like that That may be, may be the thing. And it, it is the thing that when you invest in people, it will cost you more. Yeah. And it is something that is not going to be on the, like, list of top um, really, you know, when you save money on product and how much it is for per person yeah. spent on people, it's not going to be the cheapest option. Yeah. But if you care about people, you will put the money for the long term, yeah. including like extra days of people of rest so they can be together and maximise it. Awesome, awesome. 
So, Julie, if you've watched a few of my podcasts, and I assume yep. you're the person that would have, um, <laughs> you, you might know my last question. I always sort of leave people with, uh, what makes you happy? <laughs> what makes a happiness engineer happy? Oh, God. Happy? How do you engineer your happiness? It's really physical. It's about, like, going and sweating it out, using my body, and um, and then talking. Yeah. People, like being able to sit with people and really get something resolved for them so that it gets unlocked, yeah. that is like heaven for me to have a conversation that unlocks something that has been broken or shut away and yeah. suddenly is released. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, the competitive um, kid trying to out, outdo her brother definitely <laughs> definitely doesn't appear before us now. And thank so, you. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And yeah. uh, if it, people want to see, we'll obviously put some links below yep. whether they can go up and read a little bit more about what you talked about today. And cool. thanks for coming in. Thank you. That was fun. Alrighty. Well, that was a, an amazing chat with Julie. Uh, probably the first time I've nearly cried hosting a podcast and future reference, we're going to have to turn tissues under the desk. And so hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please like and share and, and tell us what you, who you want to hear from next. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Films.